0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. God's Word for us today is from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. The words will be on the screen, or you could pull out your Bible or your app or whatever you use to to look at God's Word. Uh, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word and the encouragement we find from it and the peace we can find from it in troubled times. We're so grateful for your word and the truth of it. We ask that today your Holy Spirit would just have free reign in this place, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, you would show us more of Christ today and the hope that you have for us. We pray that you are glorified in our midst and that Jesus' name is exalted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Mike Rettler. I I serve as the associate pastor here at Woodside Plymouth. Uh, Pastor Jeremy and his family are away in Missouri right now, uh, visiting family and enjoying some much-deserved rest. So we'll be praying for them, that they would have a refreshing time away and that they would return safely to us uh, next week. Jeremy will be back preaching next next Sunday. So we read the passage today, John 14, verses 1 through 4. The thing I want to start us off talking about today is that the most difficult circumstances require the greatest hope to make it through, to persevere through the trial. The most difficult circumstances require the greatest hope to make it through. So if we have a small trial, we don't need a large amount of hope to make it through. We can just say, yeah, we'll make it, you know. But if we have a really large trial, we need a large hope in front of us to help us to persevere. Uh, we can see this through some of the most difficult periods in history. When I look back at the last 100 years, um, World War II definitely stands out, right? Uh, 1940, uh, and the the British people had weathered a similar depression as uh, the United States had right before that, but now they have this wicked, evil, insatiable, hungry enemy bearing down their door, getting closer and closer to their shores, Uh, They had suffered uh, several defeats in Europe against the Nazis, and uh, the Battle of Britain was about to begin, the bombing of London. And uh, Winston Churchill spoke these words uh, right before the Battle of Britain began. He says, Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties, and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. So the, the troubles surrounding the, the, the German people as well led them to sell themselves to a tyrant in Hitler that led to untold suffering. But the troubles surrounding the British people brought out some of their best qualities, perseverance, love for neighbor, resolve, because they kept the hope of peace as their ultimate guide and goal. They hoped for peace. They hoped for freedom. This has been a year for us that's been filled with trouble in many ways. Uh, Not quite to the level of 1940, I would argue, but this year is not going to be remembered very fondly by many of us, at least in the short term. Will 2021 be more peaceful is the question. I think many of us are either asking explicitly or asking subconsciously. We're wondering, is 2021 going to be better? I certainly hope so, but I want us to remember this morning that that is not where our hope is. What if 2021 is just as difficult? I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but what if it's just as difficult? What will happen to us? Do we just crumble and fall apart? What will happen to our families? Is 2021 going to be there? We tear each other apart. What will happen to our faith? Do we just fall away if 2021 is difficult? Where should we go for peace? Can the circumstances of 2021 prove to be so favorable for us That by the end of the year, we have an everlasting, ultimate, lasting peace. I think we'll all agree that that's not going to happen, no matter how good 2021 is. So what do we do? Where is our hope? We've been in this series uh, uh, lately, and we've been looking at what's been happening in the past. We've done a quick survey of the highlights of the Bible, the covenants, from the Noahic, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and now the new covenants. These incredible covenants are unbreakable promises of God that he has made to his people. God has been incredibly gracious in the past to his people since the very, very beginning. He's shown this most clearly to us through the sending of his son and the the institution of the new covenant in Christ's blood. So we're gonna be going to a text today that doesn't look, doesn't look backwards, but it's actually looking forwards. What's next? What should we be looking forward to as believers in Christ? So these last few weeks through the, the Advent series, we've been looking to the first Advent, the first coming of Christ. We're actually gonna be looking at the, the next coming, the second coming of Christ, the second Advent in this passage and this text today. So in our passage that we just read, the, the disciples are in a troubling situation as well. Uh, they're in the upper room with Jesus, eating the Last Supper with him, um, which may not sound very troubling. I mean, they're they're with their, their their friend, their savior, their Lord, right there before them. He's teaching them, they're laughing together, they're eating food together. But all throughout the, the passages before this, Jesus has been dropping hints here and there and everywhere that he is going away from them. He's going to go away. He's actually dropping hints that he's going to die. He's going to be killed. And then right before this passage, Jesus actually tells Peter right to his face, Peter, his leading disciple, right to his face and in front of all the other disciples that Peter himself is going to deny even knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crows the next morning. So they've watched, they've fellowshipped with Jesus for the last three years. It's been amazing. It's been heaven on earth as they've watched God work in amazing ways. But now their leader is going to be killed, apparently, and his top student is going to deny even knowing Jesus. They were in for a rough ride if all of this was true. Hopefully you can see why their hearts would have been troubled in this moment. But fortunately for us, in the midst of the trouble of these disciples, Jesus' words in our text today give us three ways our hearts can experience peace in our own troubled times. This word for us today, I think, will bring us peace to our hearts. The first uh, way our hearts can experience peace in our troubled times is by being reassured by Jesus' reliability. Be reassured by that Jesus is reliable. So the reason we're troubled, the reason the disciples are troubled in this passage is is because we don't trust that whoever is in control of this mess around us, we don't believe that they can actually fix it that they actually have it under control. Jesus has some words for us in verse 1. His disciples are troubled. They have anxiety. Their perfect world is showing some really big cracks right about now. And Jesus responds to their fear with these words in verse 1. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus senses their trouble He can see it on their faces. He tells them not to be troubled. He tells them to believe in God and also in him, equating once again that he and the Father are one. They are equal to each other. The words that basically got him killed. He is equal with the Father. The reason they shouldn't be troubled, these disciples shouldn't be troubled, is because Jesus, the one standing right next to them, the one who is God himself, has got this under control. God is the most reliable being. Jesus is the most reliable being in all the universe. How do we know this? There's a, a ton of different places we could go in the scriptures, but why don't we just go back to what we've studied this entire series and just look back to God's faithfulness, his reliability. So let's start at the very first week. God's covenant with Noah. God promised uh, that he would never wipe out the earth again with a flood. Check. Check. He's been faithful to that. He has never wiped out the earth again in a flood. In fact, every time we see a rainbow, we're reminded of his faithfulness to that covenant. God's covenant with Abraham. God promised that Abraham would have offspring that outnumbered the stars of the desert sky. Check. He's been faithful to that as well. Every Israelite and every believer in Christ is numbered in Israel in uh, Abraham's children. God's covenant with Moses, God promised to treasure the people of Israel as his people. He promised to chastise them if they went astray. He promised to be faithful to them. Yes, he's been faithful. Even though he allowed them to go to exile, he brought them back to the land that he had promised. God's covenant with David, he promises to bring a king from David's line that will last forever and ever and ever. Yes, Who's that king? It's Jesus. Jesus is from the line of David. He will be on the throne forever and for all eternity, exercising perfect justice and mercy forever and ever. And finally, the last covenant, being faithful to his promises all the way back to Genesis 3 in the new covenant, God has rescued sinners by the blood of his own son has made the way for sinful humans to be back into right relationship with God, to be united to him forever and experience his unimaginable benevolence. Faithful. Every promise God has made has either come to fruition just as he stated, or we are still yet awaiting the fruit when Jesus returns. All of the prophecies, all of the promises about Jesus have come have been fulfilled except the ones about his second advent, his second coming, giving us great assurance that he is reliable and that he will be true to his word on those last remaining promises. Jesus is trustworthy. He's reliable. Looking back at his faithfulness helps us to see that very, very clearly. So what gives you your your trust in your vehicle, for example, uh, it's the past reliability of your vehicle. If you have a vehicle that starts about 30% of the time that you try to start it, it stalls in intersections on occasion, it overheats just whenever it wants to, that is not a car you're going to want to take on a road trip to California, right? You know, it has pro- it's proven itself that it is not reliable. You can't take it that far. And if you did, you'd be, con- you'd be white-knuckling it the whole way. You'd be filled with anxiety just waiting for it to break down. It would not be something that you would trust in. It is not reliable. Do we believe that Jesus is reliable? Do we trust him or are we allowing the circumstances around us to sink us into despair? Allow his past faithfulness to be the meditation of your heart this week. Pick a passage of scripture, for example, that shows how he has been faithful to a promise. And just use that scripture passage over the next few days and just go back at it for a few moments each day and just think about it, meditate upon it, pray to God back to it, and let it just sink into your heart. Believing Jesus is reliable will bring peace in our troubled times. Let Him calm your nerves. Let Him ease your troubled heart. Let Him bring you peace. So, In the midst of our uh, the trouble of the disciples in our passage, Jesus' words give uh, in our text to give us three ways our hearts can experience peace, even in the midst of our own troubled times. So the first reason was to be reassured by Jesus' reliability. The second way is to be excited about the home Jesus is preparing. Be excited about the home Jesus is preparing. Let's check out verse two of our passage where it says this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus continues to urge his disciples to be at peace in the midst of their own troubles. This time he does it by telling them the reason that he actually has to leave is because he's going to prepare a home for them. Jesus was a carpenter while on earth, making furniture and probably building homes and things like that. He's now building something that they can probably imagine, but they find it difficult to believe in. In fact, Jesus says he's building us one big house, one big home to be together. We will all live together. Doesn't that sound kind of nice in a season when we're all so separate? We're all so distanced by six feet or maybe even more. We are far apart right now, but one day we will be close. We are divided right now, but one day we will be united. We're so hostile right now. One day we will be in harmony. We will live together in unity and perfect love and perfect happiness together one day. Now, some of you introverts and nature lovers like myself are asking the exact same question I did was, are we going to have enough space? Is it going to be crowded in heaven? Because if it is, I don't know if I want it. <laughs> the answer is no. No. Jesus says this home is going, to be, is going to have many rooms, he says. There's going to be plenty of space is what he's trying to say here to us. You may have seen this phrase translated as many mansions, most famously in the King James Version. Not a bad translation, but it makes it sound like we're all going to be separate in these opulent, cold, creepy old mansions. But we won't be. We will be together. There will be ample room, though. This verse tells us that Jesus will make sure that his saints have more than enough space. There is room for any and all who trust in Jesus and become part of God's family. A hotel may turn you away because they're all full. If you, if you don't reserve your seats for wor- uh, worship soon enough, you may be asked to seat in the overflow room. Your, your favorite uh, play may sell out of tickets and you can't get a seat but heaven will never turn anyone away due to the lack of space. Christ is our gracious groom who has made sure by working diligently and thoroughly to provide for his bride. Near the end of the Bible, in uh, Revelation 21 and 22, we get a glimpse of the incredible size and beauty of the home Jesus is preparing. I encourage you to read those passages um, this, this afternoon or sometime this week. In fact, our home is the entirely renewed and restored heavens and earth. Heaven is not a confined space. It is not a holy quarantine away from the the rest of the evil earth. Heaven is the world and the entire cosmos, but renewed and made perfect. It's a lot like the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect, everything was right. It's physical. It's tactile. It's not imaginary or like a fairyland or something like that. As much as I love the angel Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life, our next life is not going to be floating around on a cloud hoping to get our wings. That is not what it's going to be like. The home that Jesus is meticulously handcrafting is earthy. With dirt and rocks under our feet, with trees and lakes and mountains around us, with fluffy clouds and beautiful sunrises and sunsets. We ourselves will be fleshy with muscles and bones. Our resurrection bodies will be healthy. None of us us are 100% healthy. We will be 100% healthy. We will be immortal. We will build things. We will recreate. We will eat. We will laugh. We will rest we'll worship, we'll fellowship. The disciples and we should be excited about this. Imagine the best day that you've ever had. Now imagine that day being worse than the worst day you will ever have in the new heavens and the new earth. No more crying, no more tears, no more troubles, nothing but joy and peace everlasting forevermore. But in this scene we're in, Jesus says that he needs to leave his disciples for a time. They need to go the rest of their lives without their best friend by their side, without Jesus walking with them. That's going to be very tough. They'll be extremely troublesome. In fact, the majority of them will end up losing their lives. But they can have the hope because the future home Jesus is creating for them is even better than the last three years of walking side by side with him. Jesus must go ahead of them and prepare the home for their arrival. This brings up one of the incredible roles that Jesus holds for us in the Bible. The ESV translates uh, Hebrews 6.20 with his title as the forerunner. So we have this as a, this is Hebrews 6.20, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into behind the inner place, behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner, on our behalf. Jesus is our forerunner. He goes on before us. The Greek word for that is its insignificant, but the word is prodromos. And it's used in some really cool ways in ancient history that I thought might help illustrate this a little bit better. One of those ways is in nautical navigation, in in boats and and ships and things like that. The harbor of the great ancient city of Alexandria had a very difficult-to-navigate harbor. And when big ships carrying grain or corn or one of those things came into the harbor or approaching the harbor, they'd send out a small pilot boat to meet the ship and then guide it in directly into the correct way into the harbor, the safest route to bring it safely to shore. Jesus is our forerunner. This is what Jesus has done. He's not, he doesn't go ahead of us to ensure the safety of the home or to ensure our safety, but he does it to ensure the abundance of provision for us. He's like the host who hears that company is coming and he, he hurries home and cleans the bathrooms and cleans the floor and tidies things up a little bit, except he's not in a hurry at all, and he's creating an entire new world for us. He's creating a home for us. How often do we think about the next life? For most of us, it's not very often. Whatever that number is, double it, triple it, quadruple it. I encourage you to dream about the next life constantly, perpetually. When you encounter something beautiful in this life, for example, uh, new life in Christ or um, uh, babies being born or um, whatever it might be, Um, let that be a reminder to send you to the Scriptures, the first three chapters of the Bible and the last three chapters of the Bible. Look at, study the Scriptures and see, are any of these beautiful things going to be in the new life to come? Some of those things I just mentioned, the answer is no, but some of the, the most beautiful things in this life, the answer is yes. The answer is yes, except even better than you can imagine. Read a good book that searches the scriptures to help you understand and look forward to heaven more and more. I highly recommend the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's helped me get excited about the next life. And next, I want to have you have have conversations with people, have conversations with believers about the next life. Pick a passage of scripture. Uh, that talks about the life to come and what Jesus' return. And just marvel as your hearts are warmed and excited for the next life in the home that Jesus is preparing as you go to God's word together. In the midst of our own trouble, uh, these words of Jesus' uh, help us. They give us three ways our hearts can experience peace in our troubled times. So the first way was to be reassured by Jesus' Reliability. The second way was to be excited about the home Jesus is preparing. And lastly, be ready for Jesus to return. Be ready for Jesus to return. Verses 3 and 4 go like this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus doesn't just go ahead of us. He doesn't look back once he's miles and miles ahead and say, hey, I hope you found the right way. hope you can find the right path or hope you can keep up. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't just live the perfect life for us. He doesn't just die for us. He doesn't just raise back to life. He doesn't just go ahead of us to prepare the way for us. He will come again to get us, is what he's saying. This is assurance, friends. This is assurance we don't need to hope and wonder if we'll ever make it to heaven. We don't need to worry that we, we aren't smart enough or good enough to make it there. He's going to bring it to us. Look at what Jesus says here. It's super interesting. He mentions again what we just learned, that he is going to prepare a place for us. But then he says that he will come again, but he doesn't focus on bringing us to a specific place. He says... Uh, sorry, he he doesn't talk about bringing us to a specific place, but instead he focuses on bringing his people to himself. He says, I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the essence of heaven. It's where Jesus is. That's where heaven is. Heaven is not just where uh, the best experiences are or the nicest people are. Heaven is not simply a place where everything has been made right again. Heaven is only heaven and is like that at all because Jesus is there. Being Being with Jesus is heaven. If he ascended and we go to him when we die before he returns, that's where heaven is. If he returns before we die, he brings heaven to us. Jesus' presence is heaven. Being heaven-bound as believers isn't a calling to a specific place. It's a uniting of two people. Us, the bride, and Jesus, our groom. When I got married, uh, my hope and expectation was not in, where we would be or what we would do. I had an idea of those things, but I certainly did not have, Lord willing, 65 years worth of every location we're going to live in and every activity we're going to do for 65 years. That would have been nice, but obviously not realistic. A lot of things have changed already in our marriage, and a lot of things are probably going to change. But I am content if I'm with my wife. It doesn't matter where or what we are doing. Marriage isn't a place or an activity It's being with a person. And so is our marriage to Christ. Heaven is where Jesus is, period, period. I'm a little taken aback by Jesus' words in verse four, though. He says, and you know the way to where I'm going. He kind of says it just like, yep, you know the way where I'm going. And I'm like, do we though? Like, do we know where Jesus is? I mean, are we sure we can make it? In fact, the disciple Thomas Agrees with, G, agrees with us, and in verse five, which is a little after our passage, I'm just going to read it really quick, uh, Thomas says, uh, "Lord, we do not know where you're going. how can we know the way? You can almost hear the anxiety and panic in thomas's words. Jesus, you, you can't just leave us here and go on ahead of us like we don't know how to follow you, we don't know the way We're like well, we don't know where to go Jesus, even though he literally just said this in the sentence before, so that he's going to come back and bring them to himself. He shows patience to Thomas and to us and rephrases what he said in a more definitive, memorable way. You've probably heard this passage before many times. Verse six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know the way to heaven? It's Jesus. You want to know the way to perfect eternal life with joy and peace and happiness? It's Jesus. You want to know the way to forgiveness for all the ways we have failed in this life? It's Jesus. He's it. There's no other way. We must surrender to him. We must give up trying to blindly find our own route through this uh, world and get to heaven. We must try to give up trying to be smart enough or good enough to make it to heaven. We must trust not ourselves, but Jesus exclusively. Because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and raising again for the forgiveness of our sins, he alone holds the promise of eternal life for us. All we must do is fall at his feet, place our faith in him, We must stop trying to navigate our own paths through this life. We must surrender to him as our guide. I don't know how many of you have gone to a grocery store in 2020, but it's been quite an experience. I must be, either I'm a terrible grocery shopper or they move things around just to mess with me. I swear, I have the hardest time finding simple things like enchilada sauce has has evaded me for like five months now. I still don't know where it is. So I have to oftentimes go to um, the a store employee and just say, hey, can you help me? And when I ask that, there's usually three, one of three responses. One is, uh, I don't work here, I'm an outside vendor, uh, which always makes me wonder if they're actually just trying to avoid me or if they're actually outside vendors, I'm not sure. Option two is they say, enchilada sauce? Oh yeah, that's over in aisle 127 next to the craft supplies, you know, 57% of the way down, up on the left. And I'm like... I am never going to find this. I wander around for twenty minutes and I can't find it, and I end up leaving. The third option is they respond, "Here, let me take you there." Thank you, God. <laughs> I don't. I no longer need to trust that their directions were accurate. I no longer need to trust that I interpreted their directions appropriately. I just have to trust the person. I literally just follow behind the person until they bring me right to. The enchilada sauce. Jesus is our guide, our teacher, our shepherd. Jesus doesn't give us some vague directions that are impossible to follow. He says to us, Trust me, follow me. That's it. It's that simple. In fact, Jesus has never really given us the opportunity to trust in ourselves. Who lived a perfect life? He did. Who paid the price of our sin? He did. Who rose from the dead? He did. Who brought us to himself? He will. Never does he expect us to be the reliable ones. He is the only trustworthy and powerful and reliable one. We see that Jesus has done everything necessary to restore the heavens and the earth to their ideal, perfect state. My question for all of us today, myself included, is, are we ready for Jesus to return? Are we ready for him to come back? So for Christians, is your hope still fully in Christ? Is your heart in order so that if he came back this afternoon, you would gladly welcome him back with, to- with tears of joy? Or is your hope still largely set on the things in this life, the things you want to accomplish, the things you want to acquire, the anything those of you who are not Christians, what evidence do you have of your own trustworthiness as a guide to find uh, joy and happiness and peace in this life? If you're like me, you have slim to no evidence at all. I don't know where those things are. I don't know where to find them. That's why we need to trust in Christ. He knows. He is the way to life eternal and everlasting joy and peace. If you're a non-believer and you're your ears are piqued, are uh, interested by this comment. I'd love to speak with you after the service if you want to learn more about who Christ is and what it means to follow Him. You see, friends, if we are ready for Jesus to return because we've placed our faith in Him and we're walking by the Spirit, the excitement we have for our next home that Jesus is preparing is going to be growing. And the amount of hope and joy and peace we receive in this life is going to be decreasing. Our lack of troubles right now is not what brings us peace. Our own reliability is not what brings us peace. The loveliness of our current homes is not what brings us peace. It's this, that Jesus' return is our peace. Jesus' return is our one and only source of true peace. Peace. In the midst of our troubled times, his sure, reliable return after preparing our home with him is our peace. Knowing that this is not all there is should bring us peace. Knowing that we'll be with Christ one day should bring us peace. So whether this next year, 2021, is going to be like 1940, it's going to be like 2020 repeat, or something maybe more pleasant, our true peace is not found in this next year. It's found in Christ, his promises, his reliability, his sure return to bring us home with him. My prayer for myself and anyone else in my life this year is that we will cling more and more to the hope of the next life, that we would uproot the false sense of peace we get from things in this life and place them firmly on the reliable, sure return of Jesus and the incredible, trouble-free life that he is preparing for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for the truth of your word for us this morning. We thank you that you are reliable, Lord, that you have proven yourself faithful time and time and time again for us and for your people. We ask that you give us the the faith to trust that those last remaining promises are going to come to fruition because of your faithfulness, your reliability, your trustworthiness, Lord, we pray that, pray that you'd help us to get excited about the world that is to come and let that you use that as a guiding light for us in these troubled times. Help us to be excited for the days to come when Christ returns and makes all things right. Lord, we trust you. We know that you're coming back. Prepare our hearts for that moment, Lord. Help us to be excited for when you turn, return and make all things new. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.